This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 111, and we are recording on December 18th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. It's our Amanda. last show of the year. <gasps> is it? Yeah, <laughs> it is, because we are off You're next right, week for the is. holidays. And I just Whoa. noticed this, like, right now, poking around hey. at the sponsor information. <laughs> Another so, year done. Bye-bye, 2017. And then we'll get to start re-talking about all the books we're not allowed to talk about this year. I know. Yay! So, for episode one in 2018, yeah. it's just going to be about Sorcerer to the Crown. Yeah. And, like, Prey of Gods and Kate yes. and Jemison. But you know what? Like, we talked about all those books at the beginning of 2017, so I feel like people just, they need the refresher. It's been a year, I, y'all. Right. I agree. Agree. Um, speaking of books, what are you reading right now? Um, I just started the audiobook of Living with a Wild God by Barbara oh. Ehrenreich, um, mm-hmm. who is probably most well-known, well I guess, for Nickel and Dimed, which is like kind of a classic of contemporary progressive economic journalism, which is a, par- a very specific subgenre that consists of this book and this book alone. Um, so, yeah, it's um, mostly, I don't know, she's like... The audiobook is really interesting because she has, like, this great smoker's voice. And she's, like, from Montana, mm-hmm. so it's, like, really, like, nice and gritty. Um, but it's about her rediscovering her adolescent journals from when she was a teenager and had these, like, series of kind of mystical out-of-body experiences almost, except she's an atheist and, like, a total empiricist and does not believe that there's anything mystical to be had or experienced. So she's, like, a, as a middle-aged woman who's, like, struggling with breast cancer – rereading these journals and trying to kind of make sense of what happened to her as a child um and whether it was just like purely physical or maybe she was just having a migraine or like maybe there is something out there that she's never considered or who knows um so I'm a couple hours into it and it's it's really interesting I'm enjoying it quite a bit I will be very curious to hear what your final thoughts on that book are I read that earlier this year and Mm. it was no it was interesting it just wasn't the book I thought it was gonna be like same yeah, it doesn't it's like very go. Memory. Yeah, and yeah, I I don't want to say <laughs> anything else because I don't want to like prejudice your your you know views of it going in. But like, let's talk when you're done because I okay, I will be very curious to hear because also we're con- like I am also more on the like atheist agnostic side, and you know you are a Christian, so like it's I, I'm curious to hear what your perspective is on it. Um, yeah, we'll anyway, see. I know a lot about growing up poor in Montana. So yeah, far. right. That's what we've gotten to. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what her about family you? stories are intense. Um, oh my god, I know. Her mother. Yeah. I'm like, Ugh. oh yeah, her mom. Wow. Yeah. Um, what am I reading? I started this weekend Eternal Life by Dara Horn, which is her new book that's coming out in January, and it is about a woman who is immortal. Um, she was born like. Back when, you know, like way back, way, way, way back, uh, <laughs> like in like the year, like negative 1000 BC or something um, in Roman occupied Jerusalem and like makes a deal with God to save the life of her first son and like ends up being immortal. And um, 
and and now it's like present day and she's had like hundreds of marriages and children and lived all across the world um and like she has this pattern of like disappearing after like a certain point because she like she looks old ish but like not old enough to stay around forever right so she um starts her life over regularly as one does when one is immortal and um but now technology is like catching up and one of her granddaughters is a scientist and um she starts to fear that like she's going to be discovered and that's where I'm at right now is like she's like trying to figure out like and also there's this added twist because there's one other person who's immortal on the planet and it's this dude who she has like this very fraught relationship with I like can't I can't decide what's a spoiler and what's not about this book yet because I haven't finished it so I'm like (laughs) I'm hedging here for reasons of not wanting to like give too much away but not being sure like what makes sense to talk about but anyway I like Dara Horn a lot her books are always really strange in a way that I appreciate um and this one is uh like short for her it's under 300 pages and she at least if I'm remembering correctly her books are like tend to be longer and um and this one is like a very like it's a it's a strange concept but it's like a very straightforward in a way I'm not used to from her usually there's like 16 million things going on in her books um so so far I'm I'm enjoying it I'm really curious to see where it's gonna end and like you know the immortal like in the regular world the storyline is always something I'm I'm curious to read about. So, it sounds very um, last werewolf ish. Um, yeah, except without all the sex <laughs> and the and the gore, <laughs> like except not sh- disgusting every five pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like way way less profane. Um, I mean, this is a woman who is Jewish and has like like she is she is no qualms about like the divine because she made a bargain with God and like. Uh-huh. It, like she's got proof of of God's existence for sure, um, and and she's like kind of very normal. Like she doesn't have magic powers or like anything else. She just can't die. So she's like been a mother a bajillion times because that's what women mostly did in the like last few millennia. Um, and and it's interesting. So I'm not done yet, but that's that's where I'm at. Um, okay, so let's talk about how the show works. You send us questions, and we answer them. And the questions are about what you should read next, what should your book group read next. Um, if you're looking for books to give as gifts, we can help with that too. Basically, you need a book recommendation, and we will give you one. You can send them by email to getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can put them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If you have a time-sensitive question and need a response by a specific, I can say words, by a specific date, uh, please put time-sensitive and that date in the first line of the form or the subject line of the email. We will do our best to get to it. Um, If we are not going to get to it on air or if it's a question that we've already answered a couple times, we might email you, so keep an eye out for that those uh do you want to tell everybody about the giveaway amanda our new I giveaway? Do. yes yes there's a big giveaway running on the site of our favorite 20 books of 2017 um we did you know our best books of the year post like big post on the site and to to come to those like the selection of those books we had every contributor nominate five and then we did like the math of which ones got the most nominations and we're giving away the 20 books that got the most nominations so um it includes like the hate you give and hunger Roxane gay's memoir Little Fires Everywhere and Lincoln and the Bardo, uh, Her Body and Other Parties, just like ton- a bunch of middle grade, like the gauntlet.
Charlotte, which was, I love that that was one of the winners because I really yeah. love that book. Um, and so, yeah, one person will, will win this like a big giant stack of some of the best books of the year. And you can go to bookriot.com slash bookriottop20 to enter to win. And it runs until uh, January 14th. So you've got a little bit of time to enter. And that is my story. A good story. A plus <laughs> plus. Um, I wish I could enter that giveaway. I want all of those books. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read our first question and then tell you about our first sponsor and away we will go. Our first question is from Michelle, who says, uh, we're getting dangerously close to the holiday season, which is why it hit me. I have less than two months to finish the Book Riot Reading Challenge. Well, now you you have less than two weeks now. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Left with the really difficult out of my comfort zone books and I need your help. I have four books left to tackle, a book about sports, a book published by a micropress and a book of translated poetry on a theme other than love. I am a queer Latinx feminist grad student currently earning my MSc in paleontology and the history of women in science. Come be friends with us. You sound very interesting. Um, Normally, I gravitate towards fantasy, sci-fi, YA, and historical fiction slash romance. When I'm not reading fiction, I love popular science books and history. Maybe my taste can give these book riot prompts somewhere, can meet these book riot prompts somewhere in the middle. I'm bilingual Spanish-English, so books translated from or available in Spanish are also super welcome. All right, so before we get to your belated picks. Um, I want to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Libby, the one tap reading app from Overdrive, which I could not do this show without. Um, you can download Libby to your smartphone or tablet and then access thousands of ebooks and audiobooks from your library for free anytime and anywhere. Um, they have titles, uh, depending on your library, the collection will be a little bit different, but there's bestsellers, there's classics, there's nonfiction, comics, there's a ton of stuff. Um, it works on Apple and Android and is compatible with Kindle, so all you need is a library card, but you can even sample any book in the library collection without one. Um, And in certain locations, Libby has a deal with local libraries, and they can help you get your library card instantly, so there is a lot going on here. Uh, You should definitely check it out. It's meet libbyapp.com. Happy reading. It's It's so handy. I like... This is like my late night book surfing. Instead of like buying stuff, I'm I'm downloading them from Libby. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Saves me a lot of money and heartache, I tell you what. Um, okay, Amanda, which task are you recommending for? Okay, I went with the book of translated poetry on a theme other than love task, and I picked the complete poems of Anak Matova translated by Judith Hemschmeyer. Excuse me. Um, we have a post on the site that I apparently neglected to link to, but we'll include in the show notes um, that is like specific for this task. It's just a recommendation of a bunch of books of poetry, uh, tra- all in translation, that none of which are about love. Um, so Anna Akhmatova is a Russian um, poet who lived during the beginning of the 20th century, like lived through the Russian Revolution and all of that. Um, she had a very difficult life. Um, she like came of age and launched her career as a writer during the revolution. Um, but, you know, as... <laughs> You know what we all know what followed civil wars and hideous oppression of especially of artists um, her career was destroyed her ex-husband was killed her son was imprisoned by the regime lots of her friends um, and several of her lovers were also imprisoned or killed or tortured by Stalin so her poetry is mostly about that <laughs> definitely not so much about the love more about the dying uh, and the political oppression um, so it's a lot about politics and you know like long dark winters as metaphor for Russian history um, and losing people that you love. Um, also, like, there are some very sweet poems about Russia. Like, she very obviously loves her home, but, I mean, despite all the terrible things that are happening and all the things that, like, personally destroyed her life um, in that country. But, 
but yeah, that's, I don't like, I, I feel like I'm making it sound a lot uh, more depressing than it necessarily is. Not every poem is about like how terrible Stalin was, but a lot of them are. A lot of them are about how terrible <laughs> Stalin um, Some of them are also about snow. So, you know, like you're getting a nice, a nice mix here. Um, but yeah, there are definitely a lot about like the idea of nationalism and the concept of home loving a place that is out to destroy you, that sort of thing. And it's huge. Like, the the complete poems is, like, a thousand pages. So there's a lot here for you to get to. You're not going to get through it in two weeks. But I'm sure you can find shorter collections of her poetry that, that are not, you know, a thousand pages long. <laughs> so go check that out. This is the Complete Poems of Anna Akhmatova, translated by Judith Hemschmeyer. All right. I picked the sports task to answer because despite not knowing almost anything about sports ball, I do have favorite sports books. Um, And one of my absolute favorites is The Legend of Pradeep Matthew by Shehan Karunatelika, which is it's a little on the longer side, depending on how fast you read. It's 400 pages. So, like, I know it's late in the year, but but listen, this book is great. Um, (laughs) It is about an aging sports writer who is an alcoholic and he he has like destroyed his liver and doesn't basically doesn't care. Um, and he's like, I'm old. I'm going to die anyway. Like whatever. Um, and in the meantime, he has been obsessed with this like cricket bowler named Pradeep Matthew, um, who sort of disappeared, like drops off the radar, like was, was like on track to become like one of the best cricketers ever. And then just kind of disappears. Um, and so he's like, well, my last sort of act while I'm like waiting to die of alcoholism will be, to like find out what happened to this guy and things just kind of spiral out from there um this book is so bonkers it's like it's about the history of Sri Lanka it's about like Indian Britain it's about cricket it's about father and son stuff like it's deeply it has a lot of feels in it that you're not expecting um given the premise and it also gets sort of meta in a really surprising way towards the end I don't want to say how because that's a spoiler but like there's so much going on and I think that's what I loved about it it's like it's not at all a straightforward book but it made me not only did it totally suck me in and like I got very invested in the characters despite WG who's the aging sports writer being like such a jerk like really you're just like oh you're kind of the worst but I like can't stop reading about you um and uh so all of that but it also made me want to go watch a cricket game like I really I was like I was I I went on an internet tear after this like trying to understand how cricket works I did not succeed at all but like it was a very enjoyable sort of weekend of like falling down rabbit holes on the internet about cricket so so I feel like this book accomplishes a lot um and is just a book that I wish everybody would read so we could talk about it so again that's The Legend of Pradeep Matthew by Shehan Karunatelika I need someone to tell me like on a scale of I don't know baseball to something exciting how exciting is cricket (laughs) (laughs) you know I mean I feel like like it's in terms of ish but gameplay do you mean or yeah yeah like, I baseball's mean, it's just like, boring to watch like it's they cricket take like a, that. yeah the only thing i know about cricket for real is that it takes a long time like matches oh. last for hours no gracias so <laughs> yeah i know i'm like i in terms of sports i'm actually gonna watch it's like hockey and soccer because they move fast enough for me mm-hmm. um baseball and football just take too long sorry don't at me don't at me 
That's cool. All right. I mean, football's got a lot of problems other than just being boring. So, well, that's <laughs> very true. And yet, I still spend like six hours every Sunday watching it. I, you know, all my faves are problematic. Okay, mm. question two. <laughs> It's from Katie. Uh, Katie says, my mom is asked for books for Christmas, but I don't know what to buy her. She likes narrative nonfiction like The Elephant Whisperer, Unbroken, and The Boys in the Boat. She also likes Jody Pico and reads a lot of historical fiction like The Red Tent, All the Light We Cannot See, and News of the World. She's generally read most of the super buzzy bestsellers of the past few years for her book club, so new, backlist, and or under-the-radar picks would be awesome. Okay, I picked Border by Kapka Kasabova, which is new. It came out this year, but it's from Grey Wolf, so it's pretty under the radar. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it, um, but it is narrative nonfiction, and it's really, really grounded in history, so I think it's a nice intersection of all of these things that your mother likes. So Kapka Kasabova is a reporter, and she goes home. She's from Bulgaria. It's where she was born. Um, she lives most of her life outside of Bulgaria, and she moved back, or she went back as a grown-up in order to, like, rediscover the area. So the book, as the title implies, Border, is about the border between Bulgaria, Turkey, and Greece, which when she was a kid was like a border zone um, between the West and the Soviet Union. And so it was rumored to be like easier to get into the West from that at like at that border than it was, you know, to like cross the Berlin Wall or whatever. So it was constantly surrounded by soldiers and spies and like you would go on vacation and they called the Black Sea the Red Riviera. And there were like electric fences and people walking, <clears throat> excuse me, like walking the fences with guns and like barbed wire fences that always point, pointed in, like in towards the citizens of Bulgaria as opposed to like out, like they were very obviously trying to keep people in, not out of the country. Um, so she goes back now after, you know, the Soviet empire is gone um, and most of those border, or most of those walls are still standing but aren't, aren't really guarded. Um, you know, they're like normal checkpoints that you have to get through, but it isn't like how it used to be, obviously. Um, and so she like just spends time traveling those points like through those different border points. And it's so fascinating because this is like an area of the world that is, is just, it's so transitional. Like, but most of the myths and the legends and some the religious traditions that come out of those areas are all about like crossing into the border between the living and the dead and it's all very uh, like she encounters a bunch of like fire walkers and treasure hunters and like botanists who are deep in this kind of really scary primeval forest that uh, I don't remember the name of but that's like right there at that um Bulgaria Turkey Greece uh, Greek border but it's like ancient like the Thracians you know used to walk this forest and nobody goes in there because it's just creepy um and like the people she meets are, are so fascinating it's it's everything from you know people indigenous to that region whose family has lived in Greece for hundreds and hundreds of years and then there are people who like through various and sundry political like wars and upheavals and revolutions have crossed the borders with their families multiple times and like don't know where they're from anymore. Like it's just impossible to pin down. Um, and it's just such a transitional area. And it's a part of the world that I know or knew basically nothing about. So it's really fascinating. Um, so that's Border, A Journey to the Edge of Europe by Kapka Kasabova. I picked a book that I have talked about a couple times on the show, but I really haven't heard pretty much anybody else talk about it. So I think it's hopefully under the radar enough for your mom. Um, the thing I took out of your description is that she, when she reads fiction, she likes female protagonists and like complicated relationships um, and interesting settings. And so I picked for you, Please Look After Mom by Kyung Suk Shin, which is translated by Chi Young Kim. And it is, this book was just so, gripping even though the plot is like a little bit minimalist um it follows a family 
who are like a pretty typical family. Um, and they're, what happens is the 69-year-old mother um, has come into Seoul to visit her children. The story takes place in South Korea. Um, and they get separated. She gets separated at the subway station and vanishes. Like she, she's just gone. Nobody can find her. Um, and everybody is sort of like, you know, her grown-up children and her husband, they're all blaming each other and fighting over like whose job it was to keep track of her and posting missing flyers and like do we offer a reward like what photograph should we use um and they discover that none of them have a recent photograph of her and like as they're all you know sort of talking you like come to see that i mean as is not unusual for especially older women uh, in a lot of cultures like they've all kind of taken her for granted and like are not sure who she actually is so the book alternates narrators um one uh, section is from her daughter's point of view, one from her son, one from her husband, and then you get one from her. Um, and it sort of pieces together, like, who she is and what her life has been. And all of these, like, things that, you know, your children just don't know about you because they're personal and you don't tell them and you're trying to keep up appearances or maybe you're afraid of what happens if your family knows, you know, certain things about you. Um, and it's just really beautifully done. Like, the way the narrative winds and the way all of the different points of view come together. I just, I felt like it really succeeded. And, and I was very invested in like finding out like who she was and like what has happened. Um, and yeah, it just really, it, it like nails that complicated family life, uh, and like what it means to actually try to see the people in your family as more than just their role, uh, in the family structure. So I feel like that would be, I, I really loved it. Um, and it's got like a lot of complicated feels and really interesting characters and, and yeah, it's, it's very readable. So that's Please Look After Mom by Kyung Suk Shin, translated by Chi Young Kim. Okay, our next question is from Courtney, who says, We're traveling to London for Christmas with our daughters, ages 13 and almost 11, and I would love it if before we go they could develop a deeper appreciation for or at least understanding of the historical significance of the city uh, more than they've gleaned from Harry Potter or school books. Um... I want them to have some reference points other than what I've told them. Both girls are avid readers of YA fiction, and they especially love the fantasy and mystery genres. Harry Potter, anything Rick Riordan, the Divergent series, the Flavia Deleuze series, and Nettie Okorafor are just some examples of books and authors they love. Uh, let's see. Can you recommend any YA fiction in which London features prominently? Uh, you don't have to worry about making different recommendations for their ages. They exchange books all the time, and the younger one has the maturity and skills to read what her sister does. All right, Amanda, what you got? Um, I picked the Agency series by Y.S. Lee, uh, which I think is a great series for readers that age and also for readers my age. <laughs> so, you know, I'm 33. I think a 13-year-old can hang with it. Um, so this is a YA series of mysteries that take place in London in the 1800s. It's Victorian. Um, and it's about a girl named Mary Quinn, who is orphaned as a child, and she's arrested at the beginning of the first book for thievery. Like, she's, I think she's caught either breaking into a house or pickpocket, I can't remember which. Um, she's, she's sentenced to be hanged, as they did with thieves in that time. And she's rescued by Miss Scrimshaw's Academy for Girls. They are this, like, this school that takes in uh, young, wayward girls off the streets and promises to give them an education and training in, in some kind of trade. Like, usually, you know, working as a maid or, excuse me, um, like in retail or whatever. Uh, what it actually is, is a cover for an all-female investigative unit 
called the agency. And so that's the actual training that they're putting these girls through. Um, so Mary, in the first book, goes through this training, and then she has to assume the disguise of a lady's companion and infiltrate the, this home of like a rich merchant to find... Um, his like missing cargo ships but as the as as the series progresses it gets more and more centered on like areas of london that you've mentioned that you're going to go see like the second book a spy in the tower takes place in parliament um and the third one takes place in kensington palace like she's hired by queen victoria to catch a thief who's like stealing shit or sorry stuff <laughs> he's stealing stuff from around the um the palace so every book takes place in like a, a really interesting historical section of London um, and Mary is a really great character she's also biracial her her father I think um, is Chinese and is missing and so a lot of the first book revolves around that around her um, her identity trying to figure out what happened to her father um, like navigating London as a biracial woman neither of which were desirable traits at the time um so yeah it's like fun and fast-paced there's a little bit of a romance but that's certainly not the central focus um so i think that both girls will probably really like it so the first one is called a spy in the house and it's just the agency series by ys lee I leaned into the fantasy and mystery genre mention, and I picked the Shades of London series, the first book of The Name of the Star by Maureen Johnson, and it is a ghost mystery series uh, that takes place in London. The main character is a teenager named Rory from Louisiana who starts going to a boarding school because of like family stuff in London. Um, so she's very fish out of water and in, so she's just trying to like you know make friends with British people being a girl from the south like how does one like bridge that culture gap um, which leads to some really entertaining scenes uh, because Maureen Johnson is very funny. P.I. Uh, FYI, excuse me, slash PS. I don't know why Mel did those two things. And um, so the mystery part is that there are a series of murders near the school that mimic the Jap Jack the Ripper killing spree of like forever ago, right? Actual history. Um, and the police had like have no leads and no witnesses except for Rory saw somebody she thinks was is the suspect, but she's the only one who can see him. And the twist is, is that she can see ghosts, and it might be that a ghost is, like, murdering people in London. Uh, so in terms of, like, scariness level, like, I don't think it's significantly scarier than Nettie Okorafor or um, Divergent in terms of, like, violence and creepy factor. Like, both of those contain a fair amount of that. So if they got through those, I think they will get through these okay. Um, there is, like, a love story, but there's a lot of, like, going around in, like, the underground tunnels and, like, you know, exploring the city and I thought that might be sort of kind of in line with what you're looking for, like reasons to like go to a specific neighborhood of um, London and like try to find certain areas. I mean, it just kind of also happens that it's Jack the Ripper. But you said they like mysteries, so hopefully that's in line. Um, there are, how many books in the series are there at this point? There's definitely three. Yes, and I think it's done. Okay, yes, it, there's three and it's done. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's going to be a fourth one. Anyway, there are three. So hopefully that is enough to get started with. Um, I did really enjoy them. They were very fun and rompy and also like just enough creepy and supernatural. So that's the Shades of London series by Maureen Johnson. Okay. Question four is from Cell, who says, I'm writing in to request real likes to cheesy Hallmark-esque holiday romance movies. 
I personally don't celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, or any of the religious commercial holidays of winter, but my kryptonite is the seasonal holiday TV entertainment. I especially love when they are set in the past and or have themes of mistaken, disguised identity that le or leads that hate each other and then slowly grow to love and respect each other. Some of my favorite series or movies include When Calls the Heart, One Small Hitch, A Christmas Kiss 1 and 2, because there are two, Snow Bride, While You Were Sleeping, and A Royal Christmas. Bonus points for books available on audio with nine non-irritating narrators. <laughs> okay, I love this question. One of my best friends, Nikki, is also obsessed with Christmas movies, like Christmas romance movies, and it's just, she like live texts me as she's watching them, and it's so entertaining, and I love it so much. Um, okay, so I went with An Affair Before Christmas by Eloisa James, which is the second book in the Des Desperate Duchesses series, but you don't have to have read the first one to understand what's happening, as I always say about romance series. Um, so in this one, the main character's name is Lady Perdita, but she goes by Poppy. She's already married, and this is one of the things that I really like about this book, is you don't often get romances about people who were like already together. They often, you know, it's like the meet cute. Um, but her and her husband are married. Uh, the Duke of Fletcher, they got married, like, in love, and then, and then four years later, they are not, like, they are just not getting along. Like, they really are quite contemptuous of each other, their relationship has totally fallen apart, uh, and they're kind of trying to hide it. And then Poppy decides she's just, like, had enough. She leaves, um, she tells him that she's not coming back, she's decided she's going to go off and find herself, and, like, find out what she's interested in, and kind of live her own life, um, and Fletcher is just aghast, like, how dare she? Um, what gives you the right, etc. And so he, he decides that he's going to win her back. Like he's going to get her back because of course he realizes once she leaves that, oh wait, I do like her. Oh dear. Um, so he goes on this like quest to win his wife back and tries to seduce her and like, you know, win her over in all these various ways that she just completely ignores. And what I really like about this is that, you know, they, the, the book opens with them really not liking each other at all. Like there's a deep contempt that they both have for the other person. Um, but when he, and when he like tries to convince her to come back, he does all of these really cheesy dude things. And she's just like, no, like just no. So he has to <laughs> learn what she actually likes. Like he has to actually learn to care about a woman. Like it's a really, not funny, but like interesting narrative arc where he's like, oh, right. Loving a person is about like them. It's not so much about making them do what I want them to do. So it's nice. It's like very heartwarming. Christmas plays a big role in the whole thing. So yeah, I like it a lot. So that's An Affair Before Christmas by Eloisa James. I picked A Mistletoe Affair by Farrah Roshan, which I just read recently. I was like, I'm going to read a holiday. Like I've never read a Christmas romance before, um, but I wanted to read one. Uh, and I picked this one because I've read some of Farrah Roshan's other books. She actually usually, I, the ones I've read from her, I think were sports romances. So this was like a change of pace. Um, it is like, I was describing it to somebody this weekend and I was like, it's like vanilla, but in the good way, like the five ingredients small batch vanilla kind of way like it's very sweet and it's not super melodramatic but like it just is like full of those like good feelings like almost too much I was like oh like my heart like it's too sweet like <laughs> it was really lovely um so it is about a florist named Vicky Alfors who is this is p.s. this is the third book in the series but as as we do at Get Booked here, like, we don't read things in order. I have not read the other two. I don't think it matters. Um, so Vicky is a florist. She is part of a small business that she runs with her two best friends who have recently both fallen in love and gotten married. I'm pretty sure they are one and two of the series. Um, and she's, like, kind of the odd one out. And she's like, you know what? Like... 
I've been like shy and quiet and like in the corner all of this time. Like I'm going to get a makeover and I'm going to start dating and like I am going to find a dude. Like this is her like sort of, you know, holiday resolution. So, and in the meantime, she has been like crushing on for years her friend's brother, Jordan, who has never bothered to notice her, of course. So she gets her makeover. He doesn't seem to notice. She starts going out on these dates. But like in the meantime, he has in fact noticed. It's just that he's a little preoccupied because he is a single dad of like a very young son. And he is also, he was a political strategist and he lost the election and, like, he is contesting the results. Like, he believes something fishy happened. It doesn't make sense why he lost. Everybody in town is mad at him. But he's like, something's wrong here, and I'm going to, like, hire private investigators and figure it out. So they, like, he also comes to his senses and asks her out at some point. Um, and they start to fall in love. And, like, what's interesting about this, this is not a romance structure I think I've seen before. What's interesting is that, they have like sort of outside problems. Like she is struggling with her family who see her in a very specific way. And she's like, that is not who I'm going to be anymore. And he's got this whole like election thing going on, but they don't have problems with each other other than just like finally getting together and like being real about how they feel with each other. Like the problems are external. Yeah. It's just timing. It's just like, you know, and his like concern about bringing a, you know, a new woman into the picture when he's got a baby son, like how is he going to, manage that he's been burned before etc etc so like their problems aren't with each other their problems are with like other things in their surroundings and I don't ever remember reading a romance quite like that before like usually there's like you know internal drama in the relationship but the drama is all external here um my other favorite thing about this book is that um it is like the main characters are black and I think pretty much all of the other characters are black although it's not spelled out quite like like nobody gets described as having skin like chocolate for the <laughs> um, but like the there she is designing the flowers for this big kwanzaa party and you get like to see this big kwanzaa party in addition to all of the christmas stuff and that was a first for me too i've never read i don't think any books that actually go into like what a kwanzaa celebration looks like so that was lovely um so yeah it's just like really sweet and nice like i don't i mean you know it's like it's just not it's, yeah, sweet and nice. It's really sweet. Um, so that's A Mistletoe Affair by Farah Roshan. <laughs> the feelings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so funny because, like, the last episode I was talking about For Real by Alexis Hall, yeah. which is, like, <laughs> sort of the polar opposite of this one. But I loved them both. Like, there's a range here, it turns out. You're an onion, Jen. I am an onion. I have many layers. <laughs> okay. I'm going to talk about our next sponsor, which is Book X. So book axe, like a book, and then an axe, like the weapon, <laughs> or I guess the tool. You could, you could tell a lot by, about a person by what they describe <laughs> an axe as immediately. Um, so book axe is a brand new fiction discovery website where you will find books you love and readers like you. So they match readers to books using more than just genres. So, you know, you can go into Goodreads and say that you like historical fiction and it'll recommend a bunch of historical fiction to you. Uh, but book axe recommendations learn from your dislikes. So it's always putting new and better books in the place of books that you maybe aren't into. So they don't think everyone, everyone's opinion is equal either. It matters who set, like who is rating the book. So they've scraped one to five star ratings and instead they just connect you to like-minded readers. So you can watch video reviews, you can add your own, which is a nice plus. I mean, like outside of YouTube, where do you see a lot of video reviews? You kind of don't. 
You could drive traffic to your own social media channels, and you can also set price alerts for books that are on your TBR for when they go on sale, and you can get alerted um, by the website. So go check that out. You can get started today and see the difference between that and other book recommendation engines, and that's bookax.com. And thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. Our next question is from Ariel, who says, I have been under a fair amount of stress lately with a job change and the realities of adulting, which has led to some trouble sleeping. During these restless nights, I've been reading a lot of fiction, but I figure I might benefit from using this reading time to read some nonfiction about stress management, mindfulness, or meditation. Are there any well-written beginner guides for these subjects or others that you would recommend? I'm going to keep going. I love Pema Chodron. Um, I have read a ton of her books. She is a Buddhist nun who is has been like teaching and lecturing and, you know, discussing this subject for a very long time. And while she is firmly centered in her Tibetan Buddhist tradition, her books are very accessible. And I think that like there's a lot you can take out of them, even if you don't 100% like want to become part of the Buddhist tradition that she's talking about. Um, I've I picked Start Where You Are uh, because obviously, like Start Where You Are is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's got a lot of like sh- she structured it around 59 traditional sort of maxims or slogans. Um, and so uh, it, it gives you like very specific things to think about, which I find super useful when I'm reading books on mindfulness and meditation and like, you know, sort of that self-help like spirituality genre. It's really good to be able to like sort of consider something um, both in terms of what the author is telling you and then how it applies to your own life. And this is a really nice sort of framework for doing that. So, but yeah, I love her. She's got a lot of like audio stuff and YouTube videos and you can find her like uh, like there's you know like courses and lectures that have been recorded as well as she's got a ton of books so there's a whole bunch of information you could dive into if you were interested and if it's like rings your bells when you start reading Um, but again the first place I would recommend going is start where you are a guide to compassionate living uh, and that is Pema Chodron. Okay, I went to Rebecca for this question because this is the last time my wheelhouse. Um, and she recommended a book that has not come out yet, but it comes out uh, next week. And that is Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics by Dan Harris. Um, and it comes out on the 26th. So you should be able to get it just a few days after the show comes out. Um, if you are familiar with his name, uh, Dan Harris wrote uh, 10% Happier, which was like a big self, self-improvement, self self-helpy book a couple of years ago. Uh, and this is his take on mindfulness and meditation for, as the title suggests, people who can't sit still and people who can't <laughs> garbage. <laughs> um, so if you are like super weirded out by the woo kind of language that can often surround concepts like mindfulness or meditation, then this is probably a good pick for you. And since you're asking specifically for stuff about dealing with stress as it relates to these things, then I think the like practicality of this one will really work for you. Um, so it's both like a, it's very 101 level explanation of what mindfulness and meditation are about. And then it works in different examples of how and like how to instructions of different versions of meditation. And it's not like just for people who want to sit down for two hours and stare up in a space. Like if you have five, like literally 10 seconds on the bus and you're nervous about going into some meeting and you think that like having a minute of mindfulness and meditation will help you, then this is like for you. And that they like give you like explicit instructions on how to do that. A lot of it is like concentrating on counting your breaths or whatever. Um, Some of them, they're like very built for people who live in like 2017 in a like capitalist 
society where we all have 40 kids and are working a million hours a week. So uh, it's built with that kind of person in mind, like people who have stressful jobs and have a lot of, you know, and have children and families that they're caring for and don't have time to like sit down forever and like think about the life, the universe and everything. So, um, and it sounds like that would be you, stress of a job change and the realities of adulting. So this is a good place to start, I think, if you were like just not at all familiar with any of these concepts whatsoever. So that's Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics by Dan Harris. Okay, number six, agenda, scroll, scroll, scroll. Uh, this is from Haley who says, I was raised in a very fundamentalist religious environment where homophobia, racism, and misogyny were interwoven into the rhetoric and doctrine. I've since broken away from it, but I still feel an involuntary discomfort and at times a lack of understanding when reading about some of these issues. I want to overcome this discomfort of and develop empathy for such topics, and I'm hoping you can recommend me books that will expose me to any or all of these issues. YA or adult, any genre. I do prefer nonfiction, but I'm open to highly... Oh, wait, I prefer fiction but to nonfiction, but I'm open to highly readable nonfiction. Sorry. I can read. Okay, what do you have, Yes, Jen? I love this question. And I was very excited to recommend a book that I read this year and just, like, loved. Um, it's Dreadnought by April Daniels. It is the first in a series. I believe the second one just recently came out. So if you like it, there is more. And um, it is about a young person named Danny who is transgender, um, born a boy, um, but and it's a fantasy, so, or science fiction, depending on how you feel about superheroes. So what happens is Danny is hiding <laughs> behind the mall, and a superhero, like, dies, right? Like, crashes to the ground and dies also behind the mall and passes their powers to Danny. And as part of getting those powers, Danny also, like, achieves the body that she has always wanted, like, achieves a female body. Um, so, basically, Danny's transition is, like, in the blink of an eye, supernatural, goes from having a boy body to a girl body, and is, like... Huzzah! Except that, of course, nothing is easy and nothing works the way that you want it to. Um, so, like, her parents are super not great about this. Her father is, like, borderline... Well, he's emotionally abusive, for sure. Um, and her mom is just, like, trying to, like, kind of keep everything quiet as the way to cope. Um, her best friend is, like, being weird at her. And um, her the, she, like, goes to... She sort of gets recruited by the, you know, the sort of Justice League-esque group of superheroes that run the city or, like, fight crime in the city. And some of them are not super welcoming. And so you see a, a teenager transition where it's not about like having surgery and going through like gender confirmation therapy like it's about like okay I have made my transition and now everybody in the world is going to have feelings about it and like how am I going to feel about their feelings how am I going to cope with what my life has become like also superheroes and like supervillains so I and and this is an own voices book um April Daniels the author is a uh, transgender and so it's a really interesting sort of look into like what that like what dealing with the world is like as that kind of as a transgender person and also like in it's got some super great action sequences and a really fun superhero story so I just I thought it was so engaging and so compelling and it's action-packed but there are also a lot of feelings um, and it seems like maybe having a first-person point of view about what that's like would be helpful to you um, plus it's got like you know the great action-packed plotline so yeah I cannot wait to read the second book in this series I am just totally in love with it and the first one is Dreadnought by April Daniels 
Okay, um, I went with the series of graphic novels, uh, March, book one, book two, book three, easy to remember, and they're by John Lewis, uh, who is a current congressman from Georgia, um, uh, the fifth, I think, I used to know his district, but I don't know anymore, anyway, um, he was one of the, like, foundational members of the civil rights movement in the 60s, and the books are nonfiction, they're his kind of memoirs, and so the first book opens with his childhood in, um, Alabama, um, where he was, like, his parents were sharecroppers, and, you know, now he's a congressman, and so it's very much about, like, how he made it from point A to point B, but also it's a history of the civil rights movement, like, it covers the marches in Selma um, and Montgomery, and then, of course, the march to Washington. Um, He was friends with Martin Luther King, and so you you get a good look at that, and it's a very, like, behind-the-scenes look at the organization that went into the civil rights movement, um, and... The, the different like major players in the civil rights movement and their different uh, not committees, but like organizations that they set up. The like some some of it was a lot of infighting, and that's covered a little bit. Um, the reason why I picked this series is that it seems that a lot of people who come out of uh, like fundamentalist Christian or evangelical backgrounds in this country like or or who could, like consider themselves to be you know like I'm not racist or whatever. They like to use. Martin Luther King as a shield or the civil rights movement as a shield for protests and um, civil rights issues that are happening now. Like, well, Martin Luther King wouldn't have wanted you to do X, Y, Z. Like, white people really like to use that kind of nonsense for some reason. But this um, series of graphic novels is a really easy, like, no barrier to entry way of getting an actual look at what the civil rights movement was really like. Like, John Lewis was repeatedly beaten by the police. He was arrested several times. Like, these people were risking their lives. Like, getting on buses, driving into the South um, to do voter registrations. Like, doing that, some of them died. Like, were literally murdered by white people. Um, and, like, we just kind of conveniently like to forget about that part of the civil rights movement and, and, like, think that it was all very, like, people sitting in the streets but not inconveniencing white people, singing Kumbaya, and then going home. Like, that's this, this like, weird... M- story that we've told ourselves about what that period of time was like so that we can ignore what's happening now. And so I think if you kind of shore up on the history of what the civil rights movement was actually like in the 60s, then you can have a more empathetic um, and accurate view of what's happening in 2017. Um, so that's March. Book one is just called March. Book one. Uh, it's by John Lewis. Last question is from someone anonymous. Um, (laughs) So uh, the question says, I want to share my love of reading with my dad, especially as he is now retired and needs things to do during the long winter months. Unfortunately, I've never had much luck getting him to pick up a book, even when it seems tailored to his interests. The one book I've seen him read and reread is The Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, a slim book of poetry by an 11th century Persian dude. This self-proclaimed non-reader can quote about half the book from memory and likes to weave snippets of it into daily conversation. I suspect he has a soft spot for old poetry and or philosophy. Can you recommend anything that might have a similar feel to it? I also love this question. Um, I am excited. <laughs> we love your dad so much. What's that? <laughs> I said we love we your love dad your so dad. much. <laughs> we love dads. Um, okay, so I picked for you the uh, illustrated edition of The Conference of the Birds. Uh, the author, original author is Farid Udin Attar and Peter Cease, who is an amazing illustrator, uh, did the illustrations for it. It came out, I want to say, yeah, 2011-ish, and I was at the bookstore when it came out, and it was the book that, like, we would pile up a big stack of it, and they would all be gone the next day during the holiday season, because it is just that gorgeous. Um, 
The Conference of the Birds is a Sufi poem. Uh, so, like, if, if he likes, like, 11th century Persian stuff, like, this will fit into that. Um, it is, a, like, a big metaphorical sort of fable about a flight of birds who are in, true, in search, excuse me, of their true king. Um, and there's, like, adventures and there's uh, seven valleys um, of the... It's, like, a big, you know, sort of metaphorical quest. And it is uh, a really just sort of lovely thing to read in and of itself. And then when you pair it with these just gorgeous illustrations, it becomes sort of one of those books that you can like pick up and open it to anywhere and look at a page. And I bet your dad will find himself quoting from it. <laughs> so yeah, I think this is like tailor made for him. Like if he doesn't already have it, this is, this is what you're going to get him. Um, so again, that's the conference of the birds uh, by Farid Udin Attar and the illustrations are by Peter Cease. You specifically, Specifically, want the Peter Cease edition. Um, I went with also an old, like ancient philosophy uh, situation. Anyway, uh, I picked Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which I don't. I feel like doesn't like need explanation, but here we go. So Marcus Aurelius <laughs> was a Roman emperor uh, in the second century um, AD who wrote Meditations while he was like like on the battlefront uh, defending, you know. Rome, like you do. Um, and they were journals. Like, these were not intended for publication at all. They were just, like, things that he was thinking about. It's very, like, George Washington's um, rules for how to be a gentleman or whatever it was called, where he was like, you know, here's how... Here's how I'm going to be a nice guy. They're kind of the same. Like he does the Marcus Aurelius grapples with a lot of really big questions in meditations. Like he is talking about how, you know, the universe is a manifestation of the divine, that kind of stuff. And also like, what is the nature of morality? Um, but there's, it's also got a lot of really short kind of aphorisms weaven in, uh, woven in that are like just his, where he just, you know, can see him like gavel down. This is how you lead a good life. Um, and a lot of them are just like, you know, mind your own business. Uh, don't read books in a shallow way. Um, public school is dumb. Like, what? these are just very, like, short conclusions. I know. <laughs> also, second century Rome. Right, right. Okay. What? Yeah. Um, but, all right. Um, so, he's got a lot of these moments of, like, just flashes of, this is what I've decided. And I'm Marcus Aurelius, therefore, it must <laughs> be true. Um, but it's very stoic. Like, he's got, you can see, like, a, if you have any kind of familiarity with history or philosophy, ancient history specifically, you can see this, like, line of stoicism in the things that he's saying. It's not, it's not, um, it's just easier to read than, like, Plato, Aristotle, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just more conversational. I mean, he was just, like, chatting to himself about stuff that he was thinking about at night after war. <laughs> like, just sitting in his tent, thinking about, you know, school and how sometimes books are dumb. Like, he just, a lot of them are really funny. Um, they're very introspective. Um, but, you know, he was the, what, one of the most well-educated people living at the time, and so his thoughts on, you know, life, the universe, and everything, which I've now said twice in this episode, are still very relevant and very, very, very quotable. So I think your dad would like that. So that's Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. There are like a million, I mean, you know, it's Roman philosophy, so there are a million translations out there, and I don't know that it really makes a difference which one you get, so... There you go. I think that's our You show. know who's always quoting Marcus Aurelius is Kelly Sue DeConnick. Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> that's true. It's so funny. Um, okay. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, please do leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show, and we love to see your feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors. You can find me on social media on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and it's Jen with two N's. How about you, Amanda? I'm mostly on Instagram these days, and it's I'm Amanda Nelson. Indeed. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.